Pastor Kevin Cavanaugh, pastored in at Cedar Grove Baptist Church in Surrey for over 25 years. He <laughs> retired a year ago. <laughs> he hasn't had any rest uh, since he did that. He's doing many things. I love Pastor Kevin from the time I knew him, I first met him. He was uh, heading up, uh, what did they call the Olympic outreach? More than gold, yeah, that's right. And Pastor Kevin was kind of leading churches in that outreach to our city at that time. And uh, he is here tonight with a word for us. Uh, he has uh, taken a strong stand on many things. And I love that he's here tonight on the eve of Father's Day to talk to us about this topic that he is. And I'll let him introduce it. Amen. Come on up, Pastor okay, Kevin. Brother. I'm going to just pray for you quickly. Amen. Amen. Please do. Thank you. Father, we speak anointing on mm. Pastor Kevin to deliver the mm -hmm. word and on this congregation mm -hmm. to receive it, yep. that we might be changed by it in mm. Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for uh, allowing me to come back again. You know, last night I was actually preaching in Surrey at, a, uh, at an Arabic church. So <clears throat> during the worship time, which, went on, which wonderfully went on, enthusiastic worship that went on for quite a long time, I didn't understand a single word. But I'll tell you what, when the Spirit of the Lord is there, you just get it. And the enthusiasm in the worship was just so powerful. And the Holy Spirit worked in such a, such a powerful way last night. It was ridiculous. Now, I don't know if you know how blessed you are to have a pastor that leads worship like yes. your pastor yes. does and his yes. wife as well. Amen. I, I mean, what enthusiasm. What, 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 but I was sitting there, and, and you had me so drawn in, I had to catch myself to think, if you keep singing this loudly, and you're not going to have a voice left. <laughs> me, me, not you. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know that the worship leader's good when you just want to sing, you know, you're just in the presence of yeah. the Lord, right? Yeah. Wow, awesome. I love being here. I'm, I'm so grateful. You know, when I walked into that Arabic church last night, I was greeted by a gal, people weren't there, and she said, oh, they invited you back. Oh, she said, you didn't offend everybody last time. I guess, no, she said, I guess you didn't offend everybody last time. I said, well, I'll give it a better shot this time. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's really never, ever my intention whatsoever. But, uh, hey, we'll let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do in all of our lives and to speak to us and to challenge us. I trust he'll do that. I'm grateful for uh, Pastor John and Rose and so thankful for this church and for this ministry. And so it's a delight to be with you tonight. I actually reached out to him and said, um, I have uh, Father's, Father's Day means a lot to me. And I think by the time that we're done tonight, in fact, John, that, that song, I had to write down that song about the goodness of God because really that, you couldn't have picked a, a more scripted song about what I'm going to talk about tonight. And the fact that God has been faithful all my life. You know, it's a very, very different thing for me today uh, to come and talk to you about the fatherhood of God. Uh, in my life today, I'm 65 years old. It, it was different. Now, I, I, I don't despise youth at all. I started ministering when I was 18 years old. I started speaking. I started leading Bible studies. I started doing all, all kinds of things, but I barely knew anything. <laughs> I mean, I was 18 years old. I'd only been saved for a couple of years. It's like, isn't that the goodness of God, huh, John? And, and yet, you know, I, I preach some of the stuff I'll preach tonight, but the fact is, at 18 and at 65, those truths are different. The truth doesn't change, but the fact of what God has done, now I'm speaking to you from experience, and I'm singing from experience. So when I sing, all my life you have been faithful, that's a lot different than it was when I was 22 years old. <laughs> now, not to take anything back away from those of you who are 22. <laughs> because if you can sing to the glory of God that he's been faithful in your life, hallelujah right now, okay? And hopefully, you're going to be able to do it when you're 65, if the Lord tarries, amen? 
Yeah, if the Lord tarries. Listen, I'm going to share with you tonight. We're going to we're going to be looking at my favorite. This is my favorite passage in the Old Testament. It rivals maybe, you know, Crum. How do how do you really come up with a favorite passage? Really, I mean, you know, the Word of God is the Word of God, so it's it's hard to really say favorite. But this really truly is one of my favorites. Okay, Psalm 103. A topic tonight, as you're seeing on the screen, is the mask, uh, uh, healing the masculine wound. Uh, it's, it's Father's Day. I haven't come to speak, actually, just to fathers. This is a message for everyone. This is a message for everyone. It's gonna imp- I, I trust uh, it's going to impact every, everybody in, a, in, in some way. Um, but Psalm 103 is one of my favorite passages, and we're, we're going we're gonna to take a look at it. Oh. It reminds me of, just before we get there, it reminds me of uh, the, the father who was reading to his little eight-year-old daughter, uh, doing devotions with her, and he was reading to her out of Psalm uh, 103. And he had just read to her uh, verse 13 which says, uh, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And then verse 14 says, for he himself knows our frame, and he is mindful that we are but dust. And his little eight-year-old girl looked up at him in a very quizzical little way, and she said, Daddy... What is butt dust? <laughs> We're going to read this passage together here. Um, now, now, let me see here. There, there we are right there in verse 8. It starts in verse uh, 8, and it says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor will he remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the heights of the heaven above the earth. And then it says he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Now, then we get to this uh, verse 13 that says, that, that, that actually gives us our first glimpse into the fatherhood of God. Now, you might not be aware of this. You might not have thought about this. You know, you might have been taught it at some point, but, but not conscious of it. God is not presented as father in the Old Testament, He's not spoken of as father. This is a very, for you and I, it's like, what's the big deal? Like, it's nothing new to us. But it was totally new to them. He was, he was never presented that way. And in verse 13, it says, again, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. And then, then the verse, it says, for he knows, our, our, we know, he knows how weak we are and he remembers we are only dust. Why is this such a favorite passage for me? Because this passage actually lets you and I know what God is like. He's merciful. He's compassion. He, he's tender. He's loving. He's kind. He's faithful. It helps us to see who our God is. Now listen, let me just ask you a question. Some of you have wondered about uh, about the God of the Bible. I mean, maybe everybody has. There's nothing wrong with that. T- test it out. Test him out. Some of you have wondered about the God of the Bible and wondered, how does, how does the God of the Bible compare to Allah? How does the God of the Bible compare to Buddha? How does the God of the Bible compare to the millions of gods of Hinduism? Well, I want to tell you. You just read what he's like, and there is no God like him. Not in all the earth. 
Not in any text that you will read from any religion, you'll never see a description of their God that compares with this. And in most cases, the gods of the world are vengeful, angry. You cannot please them. You cannot get close to them. You cannot know them. You cannot get next to them. There is no God like the God of the Bible. And that's one of the reasons why I love this passage. Because it describes in detail who he is and what he's like. Now, you know, the question uh, that, that we might ask is, is you know, does, did King David, King David was, was uh, the one who the Holy Spirit, we believe the Holy Spirit of God came upon and that the Holy Spirit of God actually used David to write these words They're not just inspired words in the sense of a songwriter that one day sits down and has these cool thoughts. But we believe that the Holy Spirit came upon David and moved him along using his own vocabulary and his own words in that sense. But the Holy Spirit gave him this revelation about God. He didn't just make it up. David just didn't decide, hey, I think it'd be cool to say God is compassionate. You know, I think it'd be cool to say he's tender and he's kind and he's this and he's he's faithful. No. It's the Holy Spirit guiding this process. But the question is, you know, should David have compared God to a father? You can understand that there's some challenges in this, can't you? Because when you compare God to a father, you're comparing him. The the word like and and as are what we in the English vernacular call simile, which is a comparison. David is saying God is like a father. But for some of us, that's not necessarily a good thing. But was he accurate in doing it? Well, in order to find that out, we've got to ask the expert. And there's only one. And it's not me, and it's not your pastor. There's actually only one expert. Who's that? It's Jesus. So the, so the reality is, is that we want to know what Jesus said about this, Right? What did Jesus say about calling or referencing God as a father? Do you remember what he said? When his own disciples came to him, his own followers came to him, and they said, Jesus, you know, you know I mean, this is what I, not all of this is provided, but they come to him asking him, will you teach us how to pray? Why? Because prayer isn't always an easy thing. In case you're thinking you're the only one who sometimes struggles to pray and to know how to pray and what to pray for, no, you're not. It's been happening for a long time. In fact, the very followers, the disciples of of Jesus came to him and said, can you teach us how to pray? Now, here's the amazing thing. Jesus, in starting off, okay, where do you even start? What do you even say to begin with? Jesus said, Address God as your father. For you and I, in our Western minds, even though you're not all from the West, thank God. (laughs) Can I I just take a little side note to tell you that when I'm not preaching, I attend a church down in Bellingham, Washington, and it is so vanilla, it kills me. (laughs) Nothing but white people. I, I, I don't like that. So I'm so glad to be with my friends in Canada. Yeah, anyhow, side note, bad track. Anyhow, in our Western minds, we cannot understand how incredibly powerful and and how how totally mind-blowing it was for Jesus to say, guys, call him Father. Call him Abba. It, 
It wasn't even call him father. You know what? I, I, uh, Cynthia and I have three sons. And I want to tell you, whenever they call me father, I love it. When they call me dad, I love it. But when they call me daddy, that's different. It really is. There's, there's an intimacy about daddy. Father's kind of, you know, father's kind of formal, isn't it? Yeah. That's my father. That's my dad, a little less formal. But to have an adult say, that's my daddy, it <laughs> just about <laughs> melts me in that sense. Because there's an intimacy. And what I want you to know is that that's the word Jesus used. He used the word Abba, which is daddy. So, so he's trying to help these guys in understanding, look. The God of the universe wants you to call him Daddy. Oh my goodness. I'm not getting through to you yet. I have not gotten through to you yet. That's okay. It's okay. And then he said, in your holy name. Pray in his holy name. You see, this father, and there's a reason why I want to point this out. This father is unlike any other father. Listen, you've never seen anything but fallen fathers. There are no perfect fathers. You are certainly not looking one at one right here, right now. There are none. There never will be any on this earth. But our Father in heaven, his name is holy. It's pure. It's true. It's authentic. It's right. It's righteous. It's perfect. So Jesus said, you're praying to a father, you're praying to your daddy in heaven, and he is perfect. Amen? Amen. Now here's the child part of the challenge for you and I, is that you've never known a perfect father. Nor have I. And so this is where this analogy, we have to understand that this analogy, this comparison has limitations. Because the best you and I can see from an earthly father is imp- it still has imperfections in it. And sometimes, in some cases, many imperfections. In fact, in some of your cases, more imperfections than not. Isn't that true? And so for some of us tonight, when we're hearing about God being like our father, that's a hard thing to hear. And in fact, for some, it can be a big stumbling block. It's like, if God's anything like my father, I don't want to have anything to do with him. Some of you have had that much pain. That's the wound I'm talking about. There's not a person in this room that doesn't carry a masculine wound in their life. Not a person in this room that hasn't been hurt by a father or by a significant man in your life. Now, I have not come to beat men down. I love men. The truth is, there's not a person in this room that doesn't have a feminine wound. It goes both ways. But we're talking about the masculine wound tonight, and it's an important thing to talk about, okay? So some of us are here, and maybe you're saying in your own mind and heart right now, no, you're, you're mistaken, Pastor. You don't, you know, not me. The problem is God as Father, again, isn't new to us. It's common to us. So, you, so you're like going, okay, so whatever. Like I've known God as the Father my whole life, right? Some of, how many of you grew up in church? No, raise your hand really high. Get it up there, okay? God bless you. God bless you that you grew up in church your whole life. There's something really special about that and really powerful about that, but also there's some potential downfalls. And that is you grew up your whole life knowing God as Father. So what's the big deal, Pastor? Big deal, he's my Father. Yeah, I've known he's my Father. I've been praying that prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Forever. What? 
problem is, here's the thing, and here's what I want to ask you tonight. The question is, to what degree are you living your life right now as though you have a Father in heaven who cares about every detail of your life? Because it's no good to you if you know that you have a heavenly Father, but if you do not know that you have a heavenly Father that actually cares about every detail of your life, that you actually matter to Him like a Father who really cares about His children. Now, you may not have had one, But you may have known one. You may have known of a father in the neighborhood or a father in the church that everybody's, everybody wanted to be around and everybody wanted to be his kid. Everybody wanted to be at their house because it was a safe house and a loving house and a caring house and he was a protector. And he was strong, and he was holy, and he was true. Anybody know a father like that? Come on. Wow. Now that comparison brings you to, if you want him to be your father, then you're not even close yet because you got a father who surpasses him. Are you living like it? Come on now, I want, I want that one to really stick tonight. I want it to be like an arrow shot at you. I want you to really ask yourself tonight and tomorrow, am I really living like I have a father in heaven who is my daddy? Because here's what I'd say to you. Not, a, not an awful lot of us are looking like we're living like that. And I'm not meaning to judge anybody. But this is transforming truth. I mean that with all my heart. This is transforming truth. This is truth that if you actually believe it, it actually changes how you do everything. (laughs) It changes how you do everything. Oh, my. Now, here's the deal. The biggest factor that affects our ability to relate to God as Father is the relationship that you and I've had with our earthly Father. It's the biggest factor. You see, some of us who are here tonight had fathers who actually damaged us deeply. They didn't say things to us that were so hurtful and so painful and so difficult and so challenging. They said things that their words are still haunting us. Still over us about who we are and what we've been, what we've become and what we're like. Words that are painful. Some of us had fathers who abused us uh, physically. Some of us had fathers who abused us mentally Some of us had fathers who abused us spiritually. And so when we come back to this idea about God being the father, there's a block. There's a block that goes on. And in fact, that block impacts our ability not only to relate to God as father, but it impacts our ability to relate as husband and wife and wife and husband. That's why this message is so significant. You don't get around this, friends. You don't get around it and be healthy. Some people are are playing around this and trying to divert and trying to pretend and all this kind of thing, and it's it's part of the reason why you got a block with the Father and you got a block with others. It's because you're carrying a wound. Some of us are suffering from a father deficit, a lack or a shortfall of masculine love. Now, some of you would go, hey, listen, you know, I don't, my father never abused me. He never hurt me. He never did this. He never did that. He was just never there. 
okay? I want to tell you, friends, and and those of you who have had a father who was totally detached from your life, not present in your world, didn't care about your life, can you see how if your dad didn't care about the details of your life or whatever happened to you, how you'd have a hard time thinking God does? Right? And that's why, that, that's, that's equally a significant wound that people carry around that makes it hard for them to actually relate to God as their heavenly daddy and actually embrace others in a more deeply intimate and emotional way that's appropriate and right and true. But here's the thing, friends. Here's the good news. The good news is your story's not finished. (laughs) I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. Your story's not finished. And the reality about what we're about tonight and the reality of Jesus Christ is the fact that all things can become new at any stage. Amen? At any time in your life, all things can become new. And the fact of the matter is, I believe that that way maker, that promise keeper, that miracle worker wants to work tonight here in our lives. And that he actually wants to bring about change. And how can, I, how can I say that with such certainty? It's like, you know, some of you would be, you, you might come to the conclusion and go, oh my goodness, the guy's a preacher, he's been a preacher all his life. Isn't this what preachers do? <laughs> Isn't this what preachers are supposed to say? I wouldn't, I wouldn't stand and say this to you if, it wasn't, if I wasn't absolutely certain based on what God has been faithful in my life, okay? And so I'd, I'd actually like to share with you, if I could, could I testify a little tonight? Could you bear with me to testify? Would you be all right with that? I want to testify a little, if I could, in this message. You see, I'd like to share a little with, my, with you about my own journey into fatherhood. My own journey into fatherhood, like yours, if you're, if you're a man especially, But even your journey into motherhood, it starts with your father. Now, I don't want to take anything away from moms. Don't, don't, if you get any idea, listen, you'll you'll find out in, in just a few minutes. I don't want to give my story away, but I don't want to take anything away from the power of a mom and the power of a woman, but we're talking about men tonight. Each of our stories start with earthly fathers in this regard. This is a picture of my dad. Robert Henry Calvin, a lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy, was a pilot. I was the third of his three children, meaning I'm the youngest. He was flying for the U.S. Forestry Service in Winthrop, Washington, about six hours from where we sit right now tonight, when he took off from this airstrip in 1958. That would be the last airstrip he would ever fly off of. It was his final flight. It was killed in a fiery plane crash. Whoops. Okay, where did that... I missed that picture. That's okay. I had a picture. Actually, I have a picture of the, of the actual plane crash. I was only 16 months old. Our young mother was completely devastated, obviously. I, and, and, and ironically, here's, here's the irony. As, as I preach this message tonight, my two other siblings and I are going back to that airstrip in two weeks together for the first time in our lives. We've, we've actually encountered men who knew our dad, and they're meeting us there. Isn't that ironic? All these years. My mom remarried a few years later for what would be her fourth and final marriage. But within a few short years, my stepfather, 
ran off with my uncle's wife. I was in grade four. I remember exactly how it happened. We were having dinner at the dinner table. So I was 10 years old. I was in grade four. My stepfather and mother were arguing at the dinner table. He got up from the table and announced that he was leaving and that he would never return, and that's exactly what happened. Here's the sad thing about that. I felt no remorse or sadness whatsoever. In fact, I think in my little 10-year-old life, I was glad he was leaving because I had no bond with him whatsoever. He was a completely detached, uninvolved, uncommitted person in my life. If my mom would have got up and done that, I would have become a very different person. Now, what was the impact of, of, of these shattering loss in my life? Okay. So fast forward a little bit. I'm 12 years old. At 12 years old, I took my first hits off a marijuana joint. Grade six. At 12 years old, the summer of my 12-year-old year, uh, and I can remember clearly exactly where I was, where my mom was driving me to work. I had a job. I was a dishwasher. I made $1.35 an hour. She was taking me to work. I looked at her and I said, I've started smoking. And I'm just letting you know I'll be smoking at home from now on. The only thing that made this worse was, is that as a child, I'd been a severe asthmatic. So severe I had to fight for breath back in the day when they didn't have all the treatments that they have now. In fact, my family actually literally moved to to a Canadian colony, Palm Springs, California, in order to get me to an environment where I might actually survive because the climate is much drier there. So imagine your 12-year-old child whom you've made these kinds of sacrifices looking at you and telling you that's what they're going to do with their life. I'm trying to think of it now. If my 12-year-old son would have said that, I'm afraid I would have probably backhanded him, knocked him completely out of the car. 12 years old. By the time I was 13, I nearly overdosed on depressants. 13 was also when I started drinking beer regularly. At 14, I started looking at pornography. At 16, I was drinking hard liquor, and by the age of 17, I was well on my way to becoming an alcoholic, well on my way, drinking several times a night, uh, a week, at night. That's the man I had become at 17. And I was only four years away from becoming a father. Now imagine if that journey would have continued to 21 when I married my wife and we had a child at 22. Imagine what kind of a, what kind of a father I would have been. Can you imagine? I haven't told you that I was extremely violent both verbally and physically. I had a foul mouth. I could barely talk without swearing my head off. I didn't know how to talk to anybody. I didn't know how to love anybody. Now imagine that at 21. And at 22, becoming a father. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what what that would have looked like? Can you imagine how that would have gone And yet, as I said to you already, your story is not finished yet, and neither was mine. I want to tell you about the night that the Father in heaven came looking for me. I I wasn't looking for him. He came looking for me. He didn't find me at a church. 
He found me at a party. I was at a party on a Saturday night, May 12, 1974, surrounded by all kinds of young people who were smoking dope and drinking beer and doing this and doing that and chasing around and out for a good time. Only little did I know God was at the party. Doesn't that seem ridiculous? Doesn't that seem like mind-boggling? Doesn't it, like, how could that, what are you talking about? Like, God at a party? Like, does he go to parties? I'm sitting there, and I, and, and I don't have a clue. I don't know, I, I, I don't know how to describe this to you. I, I, all I know is from my education now and my experience and understanding, all I can tell you is that I have learned that this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that I am sitting there at this party, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to this very lost young man. And as I'm sitting there, I sensed that God actually, I, was, I honestly sensed I was having a conversation with God. I didn't hear any kind of voice. But in my inner being, in my spirit, I sense that God said, this is all a big phony baloney deal here. These guys are trying to impress these guys, and these gals are trying to impress these gals, and each of them are trying to pick each other up, and it's all phony. And then I sense that God said to me, and who do you think is the biggest phony here? And it's like, I know. It's me. And so after that, after the party breaks up and everybody leaves, I don't know, it must have been 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, I don't know, but two of my very best friends in life and I are sitting down at a dining room table. We're not talking about sports. We're not talking uh, about cars. We're not talking about girls, which are normally young teenagers, things that they talk about. We were talking about Jesus Christ. Now tell me, friends, does that make any sense? We're not at church. Neither one of them went to church. But I want to tell you the work of God goes way beyond these walls. Sometimes God has got to go around us to get to people that we're actually even not being very helpful to getting to. And so there I found myself sitting with my two best friends and we are talking about Jesus Christ in our life. And at one point in the conversation, I looked at my two best friends and I said to them, I don't know about you, but tonight I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. And I pushed away from the table and I got up. I didn't, it didn't even think again what they were thinking. And I walked off, in, I walked off in and, and, and opened the door to the temple, the bathroom. It had become a holy place. And I looked heavenward and I said, Lord, nobody needs to tell me what a sinner I am. I get that I'm a really bad guy. And I said, Lord, if you'll forgive me of my sins and if you'll make me your child, then the best I know how, I'm going to give my life to you. All of it. Now, did I understand everything? Did I get what all was going to happen? No, I didn't. The best I understood, it's an act of faith. (laughs) And I took the little bit of faith I had and I put it in Jesus Christ. (laughs) And I want to tell you something, friends. I walked out of that that bathroom and I had been born again. (laughs) I was a new man right then, right there, only no one could tell. No one. Why? Because when the mustard seed, and I put my thumb here, because if I could put a mustard seed on my thumb, it's one of the tiniest seeds. You couldn't even see it. But when the mustard seed is planted, no one knows but then it grows and it becomes bigger than any of the garden plants. In fact, it becomes so big that the birds of the sky can nest in its branches. At the beginning point, friends, no one knows 
but you and God because there's nothing about your life that actually totally reveals it. Other than maybe your yap. <laughs> you might start talking about it like, like I did, and yet my character was just so, so not there. But I had become born again, and here's the great thing. Here, here, the, I, look at the picture of those two old dudes. This is one of my favorite pictures in the world. And the reason it is, you know, isn't the thing about pictures, it's like what that looks to you like to you, and it's like, okay, so you have a friend or something like that. What, what's the deal? That guy right there on that screen was one of those two guys that were there that night, and that was virtually the first time I had seen him since that night. We had dinner together. He's not a believer. He hasn't come to the Lord. I said to him, Jeff, do you remember what happened that night? What do you remember about that night? He looked at me. He said, Kevin, I've never forgotten. It was the night you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. It's like, you remember that? You remembered what happened to me that night? At Rick's house in Indian Wells, California. Yeah, you gave your, your life to Christ. All my life you have been faithful. Wow. All those years ago. Wow. You know what? Uh, knowing Jesus makes everything new. <laughs> If anyone is in Christ, he has become a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Are you in Christ? Have you become new? Here's the thing. You might be sitting here going tonight. No, not everything's become new. But it can. But it can. Like everything didn't become new that, that, that moment, and in some sense, everything did. In some sense, everything changed, but very little changed. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Everything changed in that I totally turned around from who I was following. I'm no longer doing it Kevin's way. I have decided to follow Jesus. And now everything is going to come new. You know that the Father's love can change your heart from being a home wrecker into a home builder. Some of us even here tonight might be tearing our house down. If you're carrying a father wound... If you're blocked from the Father love of God in your life, then you actually live that out and pour that out on others. You see, the fact is you cannot give away what you have not received. And it isn't until you receive the Father love of God that you can begin to love people with the Father love of God. In all of their imperfections and all of their challenges, what a marvelous thing that he would make us family. Jesus made a promise to every one of us. If you're a follower of his, this promise is for you. It's not just for pastors. It's not like this is a promise for Pastor John. It's not a promise for Pastor Rose. It's not just a promise that he gave to Pastor Kevin. I wasn't the pastor. I was just that nasty, vile, violent, abusive kid that he gave me this promise. And he gives it to you. And this is what it says. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel 
will we fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age? In your life, here on earth, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and, and note this, note this what he says there. It's important that you see this. Along with persecutions. And that's an important part to understand because what I'm about to tell you and what I'm about to finish up with is how these promises have actually played out in my life. God has been faithful. He has done what his word says. But there has also been persecutions and challenges. Does not and will not describe perfection in any way. But here's what I want you to see. This is just, just before I show you what I want you to see, this has actually been called the, the great exchange. What is the great exchange? It's your life for his. And in my case, what was that about? What did I, what did I bring to Jesus Christ? What did I have to give him? What did I have to offer? What was the great deal that he got in getting me that night? Did he get some champion of a human being? No, he got a lost shell of a person with a character that was so small and so tiny that it was awful. He got someone that was a walking bombshell going off and exploding all the time. That's what he got. What did I got? What did I get? I got his life. For whoever wants to save their life, the scripture says, will lose it. That's what I was doing. I'm in charge. I'm doing it my way. No one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me how to live. No one's going to tell me what I can have. I was doing it my way. But those who lose their life for me will find it. That's the great exchange. Now, here's my testimony. Jesus promised me fathers. That was the first one. His name was Jack Brown. Jack Brown loved me like no other man ever had. Jack, Jack took me and cared about me and got involved in my life. He built into my life. He built Jesus into my life. He's the man that led me to the Lord. After he led me to the Lord, he brought me to this man. Jesus not only said he was going to give me fathers, he was going to give me fathers and mothers. So he gave me then Roy and Alta Davis. Now I have gone from having no father to having two fathers. I think if you have zero and you add one, that's 100%. And if you add two, that's 200%. So it's already... A hundredfold. He gave me Royan Alta Davis. Royan Alta Davis stuck with me from the time I was 17 until I buried them both. I was only one of their 55 children. Now you say, Pastor, it sounds like you're stretching it here. No, they took 55 of us into their life and into their home. They fostered 55 children, mostly male, mostly young, troubled men like myself. They loved me like their own son to the degree that they wrote me into their will. Shocking. Shocking. When I moved to Seattle in 1981, I was 24 years old. My wife and I had experienced some very significant challenges very early. No, no wonder, right, based on who I was. So I don't want you to think everything went perfect. But then he gave me another father. This is my third father. Now, this, this, is, a, this is an old dude now. There's two old dudes. But I was 24 when I met him, and he was 35, He's been a father to me my whole life. He's been a mentor to me my whole life. Now I've got three. That's 300%. 300 fold. 
When I moved to Canada in 1997, that man became my father. His name is Ron Sheepwash. He brought me into his home. He loved me like one of his own children. When he died and I had the honor to bury him, I still had a key to his home. That's forefathers. The fatherless one who trusted Jesus, walked away from his own life, received as Jesus said, fathers and mothers. I didn't go through all the mothers, but he's given me plenty of them as well. And they've been every bit as special. Okay. Jesus promised me brothers and sisters. (laughs) The church that I had the privilege of pastoring, that's me. 55 nations in the church that I I just finished, finished pastoring. And this is on a special event where I asked them all to dress in the stuff that they, in the, in the clothing that they would normally wear in their homes when they, were, when they were having a special time. But these are just a few of the brothers and sisters that Jesus has given me. You're brothers and sisters. And the moment I walk into this place, it's like I'm home. Hey, I'm home. These are my brothers and sisters. Amen? All around the world. All around the world. And then he gave me to his incredible glory. Didn't he promise? He said sons and daughters, didn't he? So for mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. He honored me and he gave me these three young, young boys. Those were my babies one day. They're no longer babies. But I remember the tall one there. He was our firstborn. Jeremy Robert is his name. And I remember I was struggling so much as a young father. I remember being outside alone one night and I was just really crying out to the Lord and I, I, just, I just couldn't believe that God really could love me. You know, I'd come to him and so many things had happened and changed in my life, but I was finding it so hard to believe that he could really love me because I was so screwed up. There were so many things that were still so wrong in my life and so many wrong thoughts and so many terrible attitudes. And I just remember standing next to this tree and just thinking, God, how could you care about me? Then I remember one weekend my wife uh, took our son and she went and visited somebody. I, I don't know where, I don't remember where they were. They just weren't home. And as I was walking up the stairs in our little home that had a two story right in the hallway, my wife had put a picture of this child when he was a baby. And I remember stopping and looking at the picture and I just felt delight. I looked at this picture and I just felt delight. And I felt these feelings of love in my heart. And I remember this was one of the, the, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to me all the time like this. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to think that this is the case, but there have been some times when it was just like, this is the voice of God speaking to you. This is the Holy Spirit. Is, he, this is a moment. This is a change moment. And, and, I, and, I, and I heard God say, the way that you feel about your son is the way that I feel about you. Stop and think about those little babies that you had, moms and, and dads, those little babies you had. What did that kid do for me? Nothing. He screamed and yelled in the middle of the night. He woke me up early. He's screaming for a bottle, and I give him one. You think he'd say, thank you, Dad? No, just take it and get out of here. That kid, our oldest kid, vomited on me more times than any of the other two put together. I was going preaching one night, John. I had on a white shirt. I have this kid on me, and he pukes on me green. What's this kid do for me? Wakes me up. He loads his diaper. I got to change him. I, you know, what does he do? Nothing. But I would have died for him. I'd have died for him in a second. And the father was saying, hey, don't you get it? Yeah, no, you don't do a lot for me either. 
And yeah, you, do, you still do a lot of spitting up. And yeah, you still mess your pants. And you still do a lot of stuff like that. But don't you get it? That's the way I feel about you. Some of you might be thinking, only one thing, Pastor Kevin. You said God said daughters. Well, those are the sons, and those are the daughters. Because you see, with those sons, I got me three daughters. And with those three daughters, I got me five granddaughters. I got more granddaughters than I got anything. (laughs) So Jesus did it all. Amen? You know, I knew that God had healed my heart when for the very first time in my life, at the age of 38, I stood over that. I stood there. That's the picture I took. I was 38 years old. I didn't even know where my father was. I didn't know where his body had been buried. I didn't know anything about it. But the closer I got to 38, because he died at 38, at least that's what I was told. For some reason, I had to find him. And so I went on a search, and that's where, we've, where we actually found that, that, that where he had flown off of, we drove, we drove there, and, and we got information about how he had been killed in this crash and what had happened, and then... Then I went to San Francisco because he's actually buried in the Golden Gate Cemetery there. It's a military, national cemetery. And I I went there and I stood over his grave. And the beautiful thing of it was is that I stood over his grave with a full heart. I wasn't there going, oh, I never had a dad. Oh, I, I'm so broken and I'm so empty. And what, dad, why did you leave me? And why were you taken and all this? I stood over his grave with a full healed heart. I stood over his grave as a whole man because Jesus had made me whole. Not as a perfect man. Not as a perfect father. But as a whole man. Do you want to be whole tonight? Many of you are. But some of you might be sitting here tonight realizing that you're carrying a wound. I just had my hip replaced. Since my early 30s, I've had an arthritic hip, and every day of my life, I'm not kidding you, I was aware of the fact that my, I had an arthritic hip. I had to manage it regularly with medication because the pain was so bad, it didn't take much of anything. Just to bend down for me, just to pick weeds, just a few weeds, set it into motion to where I'm, I'm virtually done for the day. Can hardly get up. I can't, uh, my, my, lots of my journey was, was, you know, limited because of, you know, I couldn't do many activities because of my hip. I lived with that, and every day I was conscious of it, and every day there was pain. I just had that removed. And you know what? I'm conscious of the fact that I have a new hip. I am, okay? Not in the sense that everything's perfect, but there's no pain. Okay, got a great big scar. You want to see it? No, 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 you can't see it. No. Great big scar, but I don't have any pain. I share that with you because some of you are carrying a wound that nobody can see. It comes out in your behavior. It comes out in anger harshness, impatience. It comes out in unkindness. Why would a person act like that? Because of what's inside. Because there's pain inside. 
Jesus wants to take that pain. Five really quick things. I'm going to run through it really, really fast. You've got to make sure that you have an accurate picture of who your Heavenly Father is. That's why Psalm 103. Some of you are looking at God and thinking He's that jerk that He's really like your dad. And that's why you've got to get your picture straight, and the only way to do that is the Word of God. Number two, talk about your own journey with your trusted mentors and friends. It will help you to process this pain if you'll actually share it. You can't share it with just anybody. I'm not telling you to do that. But to share it with trusted mentors and friends helps you to begin to process it. And as you begin to process it and deal with it, as John James chapter 5 says, when you confess your sins and the sins against you, there's healing that comes. Number three is that you have to speak out your forgiveness. Listen, some of you might be sitting here saying, gee, I could, are you kidding me? I could never forgive my dad or that man or what have you. The challenge is, is that you're hurting yourself. That's why Jesus commands forgiveness. He doesn't make it optional. He does it for your sake. It's not a mean thing to do. It's actually a blessing. If you'll actually let him be your Lord, you do what he says, and then you reap the benefit. But you can't, you can't get rid of the wound if you aren't willing to forgive. It's key. Give thanks for your earthly father. Listen, no matter who he was, no matter how bad he was, if in fact that's the case, or the person that harmed you that was masculine, there is a miracle that happens when you give thanks and praise even when it seems ridiculous and impossible, it releases something in the spirit that no earthly thing can match. And then number five, claim your spiritual dad by faith. Claim your spiritual brothers and sisters, your mothers and fathers, because here's the deal. Listen, he didn't do this for me because I was a pastor. He did it for me because I was a son. He would do it for you because you're a daughter. He made you the promise. Here's the deal. You want to know why, why the promises don't get fulfilled? Because we don't claim them. Okay. I'm done, John. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> We're going to pray. We're going to pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, we just invite you here. I'm so delighted to be with my brothers and sisters. I'm so delighted to be with these men and women of God who've come to seek your face tonight. So excited to be with men and women of God who hunger after you and who thirst after you and who want to be what you want them to be. So glad that these promises, Lord, I am so glad that these promises weren't just for me. Oh, Lord, I mean that with all my heart. I want these promises. These promises, it doesn't matter what I want. It's what you want. You want these promises for each of them. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, if you'd allow me, if you'd allow me the honor and the privilege to lead you tonight in this, this prayer, first, first and foremost, if someone's here and, and, and you don't know the, this, this heavenly Father, listen, none of us at some point, none of us knew him. Every one of us had to come to him, and the way that we come to him is through Jesus Christ. You see, this is why the gospel is such great news. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he was buried and rose again. He paid the, he paid the price so you and I could be made right with the Father. And if you haven't as yet received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, tonight I'm appealing to you. <laughs> I'm begging you. I'm begging you because I want for you what I have had. He's trying to appeal to you through me. Not because I'm anybody or anything, but he's trying to make his appeal to your heart through me. If you haven't received him into your life, I'm going to ask you to pray that very same kind of prayer that I prayed. It isn't about the words. There's no magic to it. 
It's actually about the will, not the words. It's about surrendering your will to his will. If you're hearing his voice as I did that night, I'm asking you to pray this with me in your heart of hearts. Right as you sit, just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I'm waiting a minute. Say it. Forgive me of my sins. Make me your child. Make me your child. The best I know how, I'm giving my whole life to you. My mind, my heart, my body, my sexuality, every bit of me to you. I'm making the exchange. My life for yours. Now, if you're praying that with me tonight, would you just lift your hand? Your your hand doesn't make you saved. Yeah, yeah. If you're praying with me tonight, you're acknowledging that you want Jesus in your life, lift your hand up. And by doing that, you're acknowledging that that's what you want. That's where you want to be. It's what you want to do. Don't fight him. Don't resist him. If he's tugging, give in to him. And then, if you're here tonight, and the Holy Spirit has helped you see, through what I've had to say, obviously, that there's a chance that you're carrying a wound. And that wound has been blocking you from receiving the love of the Father and being able to give the love of the Father. And that's you. Would you raise your hand? Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Yeah, yeah. Don't block it. Yeah. He's helping you to see it. Would you just by faith, you're clearly understanding who it is. It may be your father, it may be an uncle, it may be a teacher, it may be a coach, it may be any man, it could be any man in your life. Would you just say, in your heart, his name, and then say, Jesus, I forgive him. I forgive him. Help me to forgive him, Lord. And as you're saying that, I'm praying and asking for a release of the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you'd actually take that healing salve that you alone have, that healing salve that can penetrate deeply into the recesses of our heart and soul where no human can get, and actually bring healing, a touch of healing that will then grow. I'm praying in Jesus' name that would get released this evening. And it's in his name I pray, amen. Amen.